Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Kevin McGovern, and this is the 25th episode of season two of our Prove It Live podcast. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about keeping young players healthy. And without further ado, I'm going to introduce my colleague, Mike Ferry. Hello, everybody. I'm Mike Ferry here from the Farm Baseball Performance Institute, along with Kevin McGovern, the aforementioned Kevin McGovern, Dr. Kevin McGovern from uh, Perfect Motion Sports Therapy, and uh, our producer at huge Ryan, <laughs> Ryan Gagney, <laughs> Gagne Fructis. Uh, nice to meet you. Producer at huge. <laughs> so is that, yeah. his, is that his, uh, Twitter at huge.com or whatever. Yeah. At huge? I think it's Twitter's the Gagne West one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think you got to add a Gagne Fructis. It's just, all right. So, uh, Love so we got, got a, got a, a cool show today. Um, you know, we want to talk about something we think is, well, it is really important, um, and it's something that we've uh, been seeing. Unfortunately, we see a lot of just doing what we do. Um, we've had a couple issues that we're working on this year, and sort of brought this topic up. And that is, um, you know, how do we how do we keep players healthy, promote health while getting them better at baseball, while you know training, uh, strength training, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and you know what are the key markers? Like what are we looking for? What do we see, etc. So we're gonna. I'm excited to get into that. Uh, but before we do any of that, we've got uh, a couple items, Ryan, right on the top of the order. One of them I could care less about, but we're gonna talk about it because you guys like it. And then the second one, I'll have to chime in for. So what do we got? Majority rules here in this podcast. So, uh, well, Kevin and I had our had you know our golf uh, our weekly golf outing yesterday. You must have did well because you wouldn't bring it up if you didn't. Oh well, first of all, we had almost had a bad like a tornado. All right, it was like weather was dark must and have bad. Been so scary, of, you know, Pretty early. Yeah, like so scary at the end. Yeah, all right. But yeah, and, no, oh, we, and we were hit into twice. <laughs> we were we were actually Kevin. No. Kevin almost got hit on two separate occasions by uh, by the same guy playing behind us. Yeah, you hit our cart in the second one. Yeah. yeah it was it's, dangerous game. it's dangerous. Dangerous never, game. Take, you we never, take our life in our own hands. Never know what's going to happen in the course, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, this is coming off of the week where uh, where Phil Mickelson became the oldest PGA Tour player to win a major tournament. Uh, Phil, at 50 years old, won the PGA Tour championship. He's only 50? Uh, He's only 50. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's 70. actually going to okay. be 51. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. So that record stood. I mean, he passed uh, Julius Boros. Everybody knows Julius Boros. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mrs. Boros' son. Right. Exactly. He was 48 when he won the 1968 PGA Championship. So um, Phil has, has surpassed him. And, and what, and, Mike uh, and I were in Nam, right? Were we in Nam then, Mike? Yeah. That was back when I was in Ho Chi Minh Trail. Yeah. We were, we were in Nam. Yeah. So he he won uh, he won by two strokes, uh, finishing at six hundred par for his uh, his major championship there. So all right, I, here we go. I didn't want to chime in, but I, I just have. So is he the oldest to win like a major, or is or is it just yes. the oldest to win the P, the PGA Championship? The oldest to win a major. Yeah, okay. and it's it's his sixth major championship overall. Uh, his second PGA title. Um, he hasn't won a major since the 2013 uh, Open Championship. Now, here's the here's the thing. If we take a picture a of Phil in 2013, 2014, and look at him now, he's made some incredible body changes. And he did hit the longest drive by far of any PGA Tour player on 16 or 17 for the week. 
366, right? 366. So, and the other thing, which might unbeknownst to people, is Phil has psoriatic arthritis. So, without uh, a good, a balanced diet and some medication, he wouldn't even be able to get out of bed. That's how bad his uh, his is. So, you know, and he's, you know, he he said afterwards the only reason he's there is because he learned how to fail and get back up and work harder. He kept saying over and over again how hard he works to be able to play golf at that level. Yeah, and you could really tell too the shape he's been in most of his career. Yeah, yeah it has a little kind of a uh, man boobs, but you a little know. dumpy. But hey, look, I mean, <laughs> you know, I guess nobody's nobody's perfect. Um, so again, so, pot kettle. So fifty. Oh, uh, first of all, I would say that I'm I I I'd rather have uh, my physique slash shape than Phil Nicholson's. A B B B. Um, like work hard. How? I mean, he's literally hitting a ball off of a tiny ball off off the ground. Like, what does he do? What kind of work is he doing? Like physical work to be able to hit, to be able to away at one thirty miles an hour club speed, club head speed. Yeah, at fifty years old, it's no probably the, his clubs probably like super titanium graphite <laughs> ionized. <laughs> All right. Well, look, right, we're never going to win with the golf thing. We're just, we're just, we're not, we're never going we to. And you know to... what? That's, that's, that's really half the fun of keeping driving it home here with him um, to get him kind of riled up over nothing. I do like, I do like talking about, it, I'm not going to lie. Kind of, it does, it does get me. <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of enjoy it. All right. The second thing though is, uh, you know, I, I definitely would like to chime in on. So the second one is now we thought, first of all, we might be talking about eight no hitters. Right. Well, hold on, hold on. We're getting ahead of ourselves. That is not the second thing. That is the third thing we'll be talking about momentarily. The second thing is a uh, 68-year-old umpire, Cowboy Joe West, just uh, umpired his 5,376th regular season game, which Jeez. is one more than Hall of Fame umpire Bill Clem, uh, Clem, who had held the record since 1941. Um, I'm sure you know the cat. Even the casual baseball fan knows. Knows Joe West. He's uh, he certainly likes to make the game, uh, you know, more interesting by injecting himself in it whenever possible. Um, but he uh, he has actually been, you know, a part of several big milestones throughout Major League Baseball. He was uh, he was on field. He was the first base umpire for Nolan Ryan's fifth career no hitter. Um, he was on the field and actually behind the plate, I believe, for Willie McCovey's 500th home run. Uh, and he's been, you know. Was he the one that screwed up the the uh, perfect game? No, 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 no. No. Okay. no. That was Jim Joyce. Jim Joyce. Okay, yes. I get those confused. He's I know that one well because I, I yeah. referenced him in a uh, in a game that that Mike and I umpired or uh, coached several years ago. Oh, so Joe West. Joe West. I mean, he's the one that looks like he's like Charlie Weiss's doppelganger, right? Yeah, yeah they both yeah. they they're both separate at birth. So that, so how much? I, do, what do, what do umpires make? They make a good amount of money. Uh, yeah, they, they make a good, good. Uh, that's a full time job, like not like the correct, NBA, right? Not like the NFL, NFL right? Rough. Yeah, they, they make the the average umpire um, who is just starting to work pro level games make about 120 a year. The senior umpires who you know with more experience make upwards of 350 grand a year. All right, so real quickly, because okay. I, I know we don't want to spend a ton of time on umpires. I want to put our listeners to sleep, but. Who's the guy right but so who's who's next in line right so he's um he's breaking the record for how many games how many games uh is the second place do we know or do we not that we do we even care 
Why are you looking it up? If you're looking it up, the only reason I asked is because my is guess is that Hernandez? this record's not going to be broken because be. within the next five years we're going to have a uh, a robotic strike zone anyway. I believe even if even if we don't, uh, the record will likely never be broken um, because nowadays most umpires don't start uh, umpiring major league games until they're at least 30 years old. That's that's kind of the average, and they're you know with the with the labor agreements and things like that, they're only allowed to work 120 games a year out of the 162 game schedule. So why is that? So they don't even work the, really. Yeah, Overworked. I don't know. I don't know exactly. I didn't why, know that either. Did you ever do this? Did you ever do this? Like a yeah. bunch of times in a row? You get tired. It's kind of like golf. These too. You got to pull. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of strikeouts. That's high energy. Is it like yeah. golf? Is it kind of? But if he. Probably if, more if physical exertion. A new umpire came in right now and, and never missed a day, you know, worked all 120 yeah. games a year. He would need to umpire for at least 45 years to break Ooh. the record. All right. Okay. All so, right. That, so that record's never getting broken. Never getting broken. Congrats, no. Joe West. All right. But so now. All right. That was it for that. We're getting rid of umpires now. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Um, no one cares okay. about umpires. All, all right. right. So, uh, all right. So now our third thing, because I, I it was my second thing, because I, I crossed Joe West off. I didn't know we were really talking about that one. But uh, anyway, you know, <laughs> it, it is noteworthy. It is noteworthy, uh, I guess. Uh, all right. Ryan, the last one. Last one. Corey Kluber, who, who just threw uh, the, what was it, the seventh no-hitter of the year last week for Kevin McGovern's beloved Yankees. Sixth. Uh, the seventh one was disputed because it's a seventh. That's right. Sorry. Um, so in his – First start following uh, said no hitter. He was pulled after the third inning uh, with some some shoulder pain, and it ended up uh, it's going to end up costing him two months, uh, at least two months for uh, for the season right now uh, with a shoulder injury. Yeah, and so this is a rotator cuff injury, right, Kevin? So this is uh, I, I was wrong. It's not the supraspinatus. It's the subscapularis. Subscapularis, which right? is which is. Difficult to injure. To, to I mean, your supraspinatus is the first one because that's that's the first muscle that essentially think of a tug of war. It pulls the head of the humerus into the socket. The first fifteen degrees of movements. So that's usually the one right that's injured. Subscapularis takes some doing. Yeah, that's like that, and the infraspinatus, right? And right. Then, and he did the, I think what the Terry's minor, Terry's major last yeah. year that he had. Oh, really? Yes, so that it takes so something is going on there in that whole shoulder mechanic. You know, he's one of those guys that you know he's up in that like that T formation with you know with a little bit of arm arm lag, and um, you know he's lost obviously what five miles an hour off his fastball. I mean, he's like 90, 91, 92. You know, he's using his secondary pitches, which you know the slider, the changeup. You know, the changeup. You really, you know, to, you know, basically the subscapularis is kind of external rotation to internal rotation. So we talk about that changeup of turning it, that quick turn, pronation. the quick pronation, which you know is, uh, you know, the pronation's a killer. It really, it truly is because it, so you know, it fires up that upper track. It just does a lot of things. So, so that's that's interesting. So, because that sounds like he's doing too much with his arm, right? I mean, so you know, as we always talk about, and we're going to talk about, I'm sure, as we talk about, you know, you know, training kids healthily, uh, is you know, the arm should really only move forward and down, right? And so, it's this motion of getting from here to here, like this thing. Yeah, he's got that's a, a very injurious. He's got a little hitch. You know, I really haven't slowed it down, but it's it doesn't. 
it's not as smooth looking as others, you know, right. but he's been banged up. So, I mean, he might be doing things to get around, you know, these injuries, especially the arm and elbow, and you guys know this are like magnets. We get one, something's coming down the road again. I mean, it's very few people that have a major catastrophic and tearing a muscle in your shoulder is a catastrophic yeah. injury. Having Tommy John surgery, which you, which he's had is a catastrophic injury. Yeah, what's body's going to, adapt and move around and something else is going to get right, hurt. Something's going to compensate. Correct. And so I heard this one to one time and this is, um, and this is from someone in the medical field. I don't remember if it was a physical therapist, a doctor, but he said that, um, that most elbow injuries originate in the shoulder and that oftentimes the elbow compensates. You start leading with the elbow to take pressure off the shoulder, or whatever. And then a lot Correct. of elbow injuries. Yeah. I mean, again, this goes back to, you have to have proximal stability being closest to the spine. That's got to be strength. not only stable, but working correctly. So if the base, cause that's, you know, your, your arm is pivoting around essentially your spine, your thorax, right, okay, right. Whatever, whatever you want to say. And don't forget your shoulder blade is swimming in your back. It's not connected to anything other, you know, it's got a loose connection to your, you know, you could argue to your collarbone, but it's, it really depends on a very precise muscle coordination, strength and stability of the muscles of the back to move correctly. So if that's not moving correctly, Something along the chain is eventually going to break down. And so, and, and like you said, we haven't really broken down video. Maybe, maybe we'll do that for, for yeah, next can, week. I could uh, look, look at his. Uh, yeah, we should, we should do that because I'd like, I'd be interested to see. I think people would be interested to find out like yeah, I'll what see it what, is that he's what, doing. You know, I know if, you know, there was a, there was a picture of him at, you know, someone you know, tweeted out the Yankees or something at the no hitter where he, you know, he had that, that Strasburg, that T position. Inverted W almost. Inverted, yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh man. But he doesn't seem to be long to me. Yeah. His arm, but he's not you know, but like I said, he's already had two major injuries to his upper extremity. And now this is the third. Wow. No. And so can somebody come back? I mean, obviously it's a rotator cuff, so technically people come back. I think Labrum is the one that is really hard to labrum's, come back from. Labrum's, right? labrum's, labrum's the absolute worst. That's right. Just, because that the reason why is because, you know, your labrum is this piece of connective tissue right on top of your humerus. Like it's right there. You know, your right. rotator cuff's on top of that. So um, the Yankees are saying two months. There's If he's back in two months, I would it would be a miracle. Okay. Right. Just because he's taking it, and just because he's taking a month off of throwing, so he's shut down for a month. So that puts us. It's already we're already. Let's just say we'll say June first. So that that takes us through the end of June. Then he can resume, you know, light throwing. That's takes us through July. You know, then there's a re. I mean, if he's back by September, I think that would be, uh, you know, for the playoff for the stretch run, but. And then the question is like, is he is he really back? Right. Right. That's just saying if everything goes right, like he can get back in the mound and throw again, and this could happen again. Like he right. just pitched a hunt. I mean, his no hitter was what? What? How many pitches, uh, Ryan? One hundred one hundred two. One hundred two. Yeah. So the next start out, he te- you know he's got a, a, a partial tear, whatever of a subscapularis muscle. I mean, I know they're going back in there, which is high uh, for today's game. One hundred two yeah. is a high pitch count for today's game. So I'm going back in there with die with an for a complete game. game. That's that's actually probably on the low side for no. For I'm just game. saying as an as an average in general, start, yeah, that's high. In, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's probably towards. I don't the top think he's been at 102 for a while. You know, I mean, obviously right. he threw three or four, maybe through two pitches last year and came out of the game. So yeah, um, it's 
it's yeah there's just a lot there's a, it's not just one factor there's many different factors that go into why he's injured again and, and to that point we'll we'll tease right here we'll tease a little bit of, of uh, a segment we're going to do next week we can look at the, the the grander picture here you know especially with with your yankees Aaron Hicks was supposed to have a, a potentially season-ending surgery yesterday. Yeah, he's out Stanton, for the year. He's done. Yeah, Stanton is still out um, oh, for at plot. least a few more days, right? Yep. Kluber is now out for at least eight weeks, and yep. Luke Voigt has a grade two right oblique strain, which is and he's run. and he's a perfect example. So Luke Voigt last year played like on a foot that he could barely move because the Yankees were so banged up last year. So now he has, of course, that limping around caused this like cartilage tear of his knee. So he gets that operated on and now obviously can't turn as well as he likes to. So what's the next joint up from the hips? We got an oblique strain because he's trying to generate bat speed to make up for what he's probably not pivoting off of his, his legs because of this meniscal thing, which is, you know, still has to bother him. <laughs> so, so let that let's, let's flow right into that. Right. So into our main topic, because this is all related and, you know, full disclosure, we were talking about, you know, what's going on with major league baseball with all these injuries. Um, you know, it brought it to, you know, it, it, it brought me to think about, you know, the youth game, obviously what we're in control of, what we do on a daily basis. Um, there's definitely a disconnect. Something's going on in major league baseball with all these injuries. I mean, without, and this isn't just pitching anymore, right? So not no. just talking about Tommy no. John surgeries and torn rotator cuffs. This is, <laughs> Everything. Quads, I mean, hamstring. I mean, people, yeah. these guys can't even run from first to second without, I mean, something's going on. Something's going on. I mean, you do two things in baseball, right? You sprint and you rotate. That's it. That's yeah. it. You know, other than making 390 degree, you know, left turns, that's it, right? You sprint, you make a left turn, you sprint, you make a left turn. In the outfield, you Which sprint. It's opposite of UPS, right? They only make right-hand turns? I right? believe so. I yeah, so that's yeah. okay. So, uh, so, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's something, something's askew, right? Mm-hmm. Now I remember in the, uh, in the beginning, this is a, this is several podcasts back, Kevin, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a stat along the lines, like the Yankees alone had more injuries than like the AFC East in September or something <laughs> crazy like that. Right. Was, well, I'll give you, I'll give you a stat that I have right here. All right. What do you got? The Yankees set an MLB record in 2019 with 30 players on the on the injured list for a total of 36 different stints, and that's pretty in jeopardy. Last year in the in the 60 game season, they had 18 players. Uh, excuse me, 18 stints for 16 players. What so, are they at now? Just, so just just run this back again. So just just last well, year alone, right? Yep. We took we had spring training. We yep. took how many months off? Right. When did the season start last year? July. So July, and you still had people hurt. We had three months off, right? Three plus months off, and you still got hurt. And so far this year, not even a third of a way into the season, and they have 14 players on the IL for a total of 16 different stints. And catastrophic. I mean, you just so just so the O'Day is out with a rotator cuff. Britain had elbow surgery already to remove chips from his elbow. Mm-hmm. You got Severino, who's maybe coming back from a, from Tommy John. I mean, it's just it just doesn't end. Yeah, and and like you know, um, every time I see Aaron Judge like move quickly and dive for balls, I, I you know because he he's fragile too, uh, almost as bad as Stan. It's insane. I don't know. No one's chasing these guys. No one's chasing them to tackle them. I mean, I looked at you know Roof is it Roofnet? I don't know how you pronounce his name. I watched him slam into the catcher and hyperextend his knee, and he's back in ten days. And Stanton is still out with a quad strain for. I mean, yeah, 
I mean, how many, how many doubles did he hit? He had like, you know, eight home runs, a single. I, I don't even know, you know, what, what he's doing. It's insane. And so obviously I think there's, you know, and I think, you know, you, you and I, Kevin are a little on a little bit, two different sides of this, right. Of, uh, you know, these, these big league teams, you know, we gotta, you have to look at say, you know, what's going on with the trainers, you know, what's, yeah. what, what are the other holdings? You have to ask, uh, you know, are they, are they doing what they need to do? I, I, I always tend to look at it that, you know, I, I feel like sometimes those trainers are hamstrung. You've got these, you know, big ticket players, right? These guys with these huge salaries, they're superstars. Are they going to listen to a trainer? You know, are they going to just do their own thing or Valid you know, point. right? Uh, do they have their own guys? You know, should they be held accountable? But, but at some point, um, you gotta, you gotta, you first recognize that there's a problem, right? Because it, it's, it happens all the time, and it has a major effect. I mean, the, 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 the teams that win the World Series are just like the healthiest team. It's not mm-hmm. even always the best team. It's like the healthiest team, the one that can stay together, right? And especially with the pitching, the frontline pitching. You know, they talk about it every time, like you know, hey, this team was healthy. You know, they, they, all of the, you know, their starters, their front first four starters never miss a start, etc. And that's like now, that's like an anomaly. And, and that's so, why these younger, you know, these seem to be younger teams are doing better because right. you know the the Tampa Bay, you know, the Dodgers are fairly have a bunch of fairly young players, but even now they're getting banged up. It's, it's, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. And so what we can do is we can look at it from, from, from the youth side. Right. And look, we have kids that get injured too. Uh, we deal with some things that are a little bit different. Um, you know, one of them being Kevin that we talked about before is a, uh, is, you know, just kids growing and, uh, you know, dealing with their body, just <laughs> never staying the same size or constantly growing. We deal with, uh, we have one player now that's, um, you know, he's dealing with just growing pains, you know, like he's having yep. issues with his legs and his heels and, you know, the, the poor kids constantly in pain and he's, he's battling through that. And he's an excellent little player, like one of the hardest workers we've ever had in our program. Um, just phenomenal work ethic, loves the game more than any kid I've ever met in my life. Um, and so he's battling that and he's dealing with it. Um, one of the things that we see that's more alarming, I think, is growth plate issues. And I want to get into that a little bit because at the ages of, I'd even include 12, depending on the physical maturity of a kid. So 12, 13, 14 in that range. And we see it personally, uh, more 13 and 14, you know, as these growth plate issues and Kevin, you could probably describe it and I'll ask you to in a second, a little bit more, but um, it's, it's, it's really, we really got to treat 13 and 14 year old players, especially kids that pitch differently than we would a 14 year old or even an 11 year old for that matter. Right. Um, mm-hmm. We got to treat them a little bit differently. And, and, and unfortunately at that age, especially the better players, Kevin, they're, they're playing in a bunch of different teams. They're not just playing with us. They're playing. And we've never been a type of program to discourage playing elsewhere. Right. We want you to, I, I, I think town ball is, you know, are you going to learn a ton? No. Uh, but it's, it's socially, I think it's important. It's, a, it's important to play for you with your friends and play in your town. Uh, so they're playing town ball. A lot of them are playing middle school ball, which don't get me started on middle school ball, but, uh, I won't even go. Ooh, we have, to pull, that, we have to pull that string. It's oof, it's uh, it, we'll go watch one. And then yeah, you'll well, I, I know. So like, you know, I'm from Connecticut, like everyone had middle school team. I, I know a lot of schools in Massachusetts don't have middle school programs. So I, that's growing up in a premium. We didn't have that at all. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't have it growing up, but it's everywhere now. 
It's mm-hmm. it's everywhere, and it's yet yeah, it is not a good brand of baseball. But that's beside the point. Uh, but the point is, is that they are playing on these multiple teams, and so that you know, we have to be the arbiters. We have to make sure that our players are staying healthy. And um, you know, I I and this isn't. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cast a wide net here, and I'm gonna speak in general terms. So I'm not you know trying to put anything on anybody. But generally speaking. You know your local little league coach or Babe Ruth coach, uh, or uh, or middle school coach. Those a lot of them uh, aren't going to pay attention to what you're doing outside of that team. Uh, a lot of them aren't equipped to be able to even know what they should be doing to to participate in the health of that kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know that they have a baseball team. They know they have to coach. And hey, are you do you feel good? Yeah. Can you pitch today? Yeah. Okay. And they'll go out. So you know, one of the things that we that we have to do is we have to keep close, very close eye on what kids are doing outside of when they're with us. And you know, sometimes. It's it's good if you can to have a relationship with the town coach or the school coach. Um, that's oftentimes just not doable. Uh, so we have to, you know, we have to talk to the kid, to the parent, and it really comes back to the parent, I think, to be able to really 100%. make sure that they're they're keeping an eye on what's going on and at least relaying that to us and saying, hey, uh, he might not tell you this, you know, you're, you're this player, my son might not tell you, but he pitched two innings for this and he played shortstop the next game and he probably made, you know, 35 throws over to first base, et cetera, right? And, and again, it's, this is any any player, but especially when you're dealing with kids with open growth plates, which Kevin, could you describe did you explain sort of what that means and why it's well, you know, what the dangers are with the with the growth plate before we go further? Yeah, so a growth plate is essentially a, a non a bone that's not completely formed. It's not full, it's not hard, you know, it's soft, you know, like a baby's skull is yep. it, you know, when you first come on, it's soft. So it's it's going to be a bone. Okay. So it's just, it's, it hasn't gone through its maturation process. That, well, that's a big word for me um, to be, to become a bone. And in, we talk about growth plate injuries, you know, the tendons are still attached there. You know, our flexor tendon of our elbow, our, you know, our rotator cuff is still attached to these bones. And a lot of times the injury to the growth plate is what's called an avulsion fracture. Right. An avulsion fracture is like, think of a, a string attached to a cork and a wine bottle and boop, you, you pull the string, which would be the tendon and out pops the cork, which would be this piece of this growth plate. And then now we're talking about how we fix that. Um, you know, do we go in, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a 13 year old elbow. You have to make sure that joint is going to be moving and stable forever. So that is when, you know, surgery is for surely indicated to fix that, you know, now they're doing, you know, I tore my ACL in 86 when I was 16, I had growth plates. So they didn't do the ACL. I didn't get my ACL repaired till I think like 10 years after wow. now they do ACL repairs to and through the growth plate. And they, I mean, I'm not sure what they're doing, but because you have to keep the integrity of that joint. So if you go running around wearing a brace like I did with an ACL deficient knee, when you're 42, which is when I probably should have had it done, you need a total knee replacement. You know, so now we're talking about an injury to an arm, to a shoulder where there's a growth plate injury that has got to be dealt with because, you know, the bone isn't completely formed. You've got to make sure that that joint is healthy so that it can mature with the rest of the body and the kid can still be active and still play. I mean, doesn't want their career to be over at 12 or 13. 
And, and so I'll, I'll, I'll follow that up and saying, are there, uh, would there be symptoms or there be in like indicators that something's going on with the growth plate uh, or is it just like this, you know, catastrophic injury, but, or, or, or is it something that you could prevent again, if you pay attention and listen to your body? Yeah. I mean, the first thing always with any injury is pain, you know, uh, but you know, the first, and of course we all have children, three of us, Getting a straight answer out of them, as we know, is like pulling teeth, no pun intended, you know, but that's it. So it's, so you would see, you know, you, they would be in pain. The other thing that might not be uh, to the naked eye is a change in their movements or, or mechanics. You know, I just had one kid in who, you know, whose arm angle went from kind of over the top to three quarters. And now he's got a, you know, bicep tendonitis you know, his arm angle changed. I'm, I'm assuming cause he was in pain and either was, you know, his body was trying to get away to figure it out. Right. The problem with the body is that it will always do what you tell it to do. Good thing. It will always do what you tell it to do. Bad thing. It's going to find a way to get something done. You want to throw a ball. It's going to find its way. And then, you know, hopefully that that change doesn't cause a catastrophic injury, like an avulsion fracture, like, like, you know, something like that, that we really don't want. Right. Okay. That makes all the sense in the world. And so we have, now we typically have seen the growth plate issue be related to pitching. It doesn't have to be, um, but that's where we've seen it. And, um, you know, so I would, you know, I I think it's very important for parents and for, for, for coaches to know that, you know, and this is what I think the injury thing comes down to. Like you have to talk to your players, talk to the players, parents, know what they're doing. You know, if, uh, if they say that they're fine, but you know that they just pitched four innings the day before and maybe played a position the day before that and or, you know, or whatever. And, that, you know. and that's it, Mike. What you just said, it's not necessarily like the kids. So let's say he went out and threw 60 pitches. The next day he's playing for, oh, I'll just play first base. Okay. So we have to warm up. We have to go out and throw ground balls to the fielders, uh, you know, between it, between innings. So it's not necessarily the, it's the, it's the afterward, it's the afterwards that they're still playing. Oh, we just played the outfield or he just played third base and he's making all these throws. That's the key. It's it's cumulative throws. That's right. And that's, and that's where I think that, uh, and I know I've said this before, I think that, you know, the pitch smart, while it's a great guideline and it's something to have in place it at a minimum, it, it can it can sometimes have a false sense of safety because you go, well, well, he's under his pitch limit. He only threw, yeah, he pitched yesterday, but he only threw 55 pitches. So that means he right. has 30 pitches left to throw today if we right. don't throw him the rest of the week. And that's like, well, no, uh, you know, you don't know where those 55 pitches came from. You know, they could have all come right. in two and, innings. You know, how, how many pitches did it take him to warm up? What's right. Like, all of that goes right. into play, but, you know, Parents don't necessarily, and it comes down to the parents. You can't, you guys can't be responsible for what happened in town ball, right? Someone's got to be managing their children because the the kid's going to go just like all three of us. Oh uh, yeah, I can pitch. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You know, because that's what, I mean, that's what I would say. Yeah, I can pitch. And honestly, I want that kid. I like, I like the competitive athlete, right? Absolutely. But it's and it's hard to ask a 13-year-old to be responsible, right? Sure. To say, hey, look, we want you to be competitive, but you also have to be smart and responsible about your health because right. a lot of kids think they're impervious. You know, they 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 and, and there's the whole thing that I know we brought this up before too about the good pain versus bad pain. And there's no yep. such thing. Pain is pain. pain and is it's pain. an indicator and it's telling you that there's something's off and you need to rest your body. And so I think that's really important. So if you're if you're talking to a kid, and again, maybe you know that that kid played that week. 
always best to maybe backed up with a parent. So, you know, how yep. much did he throw? Uh, yep. Well, you know, he only pitched two innings. Okay. What else did he do? Right. Oh, well, he played center field for three innings. He played shortstop for three. All right. How, you know, how many throws would you suggest he made? Did he have a lot of plays? Well, yeah, he was very involved. And, you know, you're playing shortstop. It's placed the or, first. You know, he, yeah, he heaved one from center field all right. the way home. Right. Like all, all of that. And you really have to, like, you have to be aware of that. You said that 13 to 14. You know, if your kid in Little League is 5'2", and in the next September, he's 5'7". I mean, that's the first question I asked. How much has your child grown in the last 12 months, 18 months? And usually the people say who are injured, yeah, three inches, four inches, five inches, six, yes. much as a foot. Yeah. The body's the body's like, what is going on? It doesn't even, you know, muscles are trying to adjust as the spine is growing. It's, 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 well, yeah. it's going to throw your sequential motion Every, off. Everything. Right? everything. everything. Your mechanics everything. are going to change. And so, uh, you know, very, very important. It's like, and again, this is for all players, of course, uh, but you know, specifically for the 13 to 14 year old age group, like as Kevin mentioned, these kids are constantly growing. You have open growth plates um, and they're, they're kind of a danger area. I mean, if we're being honest, right. I mean, so yeah. we just, we gotta be, we gotta be, make sure we're being mindful. And I'll tell you, you know, we have a certain innings limit that we'll have even for our high school age kids. And um, you know, high their high school team is not going to, then they're they're not going to pitch him or him or her according. It's really, it's really for the boys pitching. Right. Uh, they're not going to pitch him according accordingly. They're just going to use them as much as they feel like they need to use them. So it, it's the onus is on us at that point to say, okay, well, you pitch fifty five innings for high school. That's a huge number. That tip, typically wouldn't happen, right? But now we know. All right, I got maybe twenty innings for you for this summer. Okay, so right. again, you know, for for so, but. As a, as a parent of a player, obviously we all want our kids to be healthy. Make sure that you're involved as a parent. I think that's that's you know the main the message. Here. Yeah, the number one is is to and 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 as a coach, if you're coaching out there, if you're a little league coach, you know, I, I would highly suggest you do the same thing. I would ask that you do, and um, because you know, especially if you know kids are playing, because it goes in reverse, right? So we we find out what the kids doing little league and town ball and middle school or Babe Ruth, you know, the Babe Ruth and Little League coaches that also find out where, what they're throwing for their travel team, et cetera. And, and also for, for, for school, um, because at the end of the day, we're responsible. I mean, yeah, we want the kids to have fun. Of course, we want them to get better. Uh, no one's getting better or no one's having fun if they're out with an injury. Right. Nobody, right. They're, they're, and let me, and let me say, let me say this about the whole parenting thing. Um, get your kids tested. Okay. I know some of these, uh, schools and towns require a sport physical. Okay. Those are useless. Okay. They're done by your pediatrician who knows as much about scapular depression movement and the ratio than my garbage man. All right. So go see a physical therapist, please. I beg of you, your, your child, it, you, it, there's plenty of PTs out there that, that will do screens, movement screens. Um, to prevent injury. I always say this when I do, you know, do camps in front of parents, you trust the physical therapist when you come in the clinic and the arm is hanging off. Right. And they're, and they're injured. Right. So we, we, we fix the injured. Imagine what we can do to keep people healthy, right? Preventative prevent, prevent, prevent prevention. Okay. Prevention, not reaction, not getting on Facebook. Oh, my child's got this. What do you think? Prevention before it even happens, your child grows, goes from 5'2 to 5'10, get them into a qualified person to be evaluated, 
before they before they pick up a ball, before they do anything to fix their movement, they'll get exercises, they'll stay on a plan because as you guys know, most injuries in the sport of baseball are catastrophic. They're not, you know, you'll get your sprain or strain, avulsion fractures, Tommy John injuries, Corey Kluber subscapularis. Those are catastrophic injuries, okay, on a sport that's non-contact. Yeah, we don't want those, and some of them are preventable. A lot of them are preventable. Right. Well, I think it's it's and, and it's it's important to understand that and and. Uh, I think Kevin, what you're talking about, right, is like finding out areas of weakness. Like you know, so you know, again, we we do two things in baseball: we sprint, and we rotate, right. So, if you are weak in the hips, let's say you you have just really tight hips and you're weak, and maybe your glutes aren't as strong as they need to be, the muscles that are going to be turning your body, um, if they're weak. As Kevin mentioned, something's going to compensate. Your arm's going to do more than it's supposed to do, and that's going to put your arm at risk, as an example. So I think it's real important to, regardless of 13, 14, like 12 years old, get them screened. 15, get them screened. Absolutely. Let's see. Every it's year. only going to make the player better Every as well. It's going to help with the – yeah, it's yeah, going to help with the it's going to help with the performance end, of the player. Yeah. The consequences, uh, uh, I mean, if they save – you know, if 25% of injuries could be prevented – by being proactive rather than reactive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. All right. Good stuff. We'll, we'll do, we'll do more on this because it's such an important topic. Uh, But um, Corey Kluber helped sort of kick that into gear for sure. Uh, All right. On to, uh, on to our next uh, Gagne Fructis. What do we have? Gagne Fructis. What do we got? Uh, So, I know we had a question, but we also, we got to do our tips as well. More golf talk. I, w- I would say we go to the question of the week first, and then we can go to uh, the tips and the movement. So the question of the week, we we kind of broached the topic uh, previously, but we wanted to expound upon it a bit more. Does the act expound? Oh, like that? I can't that's wait to. That was like what was the word I used? Maturation. That's like expound. We're like one. Yeah, maturation. That's why we're, we're, that's why we're uh, golf partners. We're like in sync. We took. A, we weren't really golfing yesterday. We went to an SAT prep class. Yes. Um, does the axe bat help? Uh, prevent injury to the handmade bone. Again, we we talked about it briefly, but wanted to uh, to kind of dive into it a bit more. Sure. And, I, I, can I? Uh, oh, can hold I on. Let me shout let me, out here to the oh. person who asked that question. So that's you, from uh, our listener you, Ed Campbell, Doctor Ed Campbell, chiropractor in San Jose, California. Okay. So, but Doctor Ed Campbell also asked, like, does is it a good bat? Right. It's a good bat. He did. Right. So yep. he wants to know both. Um, I'm going to, if you don't mind, Kev, I'll go first. I'll yeah, I, like, I, I don't, even know, I don't even know what these handles were. Okay. A couple things. I, 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 I am not a personally, I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan, um, you know, from a playing stand standpoint, a hitting a point of view. Of what this looks like, um, guy we, named Fruities. Ryan, do we have one there? He's grabbing a bat. I think he's looking for it. Uh, this is a live picture. All right. So while he's looking for it, okay. So I don't, I don't love it for from a from a performance point of view or as a coaching point of view, and they're sort of related. They're tied in. All right. Um, so an axe bat, and Ryan's looking for one here. Uh, it's basically something. a baseball bat. No, it's a baseball bat that literally just the handle of it. It's like an axe handle. So, a so there's, no, there's no knot. There's no there's no knob. Okay. It just looks like an axe. And I don't even have my baseball bat here to show a regular knob, but, you know, regular, you know, obviously cylindrical handle. And then a little knob on the, on the bottom is what a typical bat would look like. This has the handle of an axe. So if you've ever had an axe or a hatch yeah. or whatever, it, it's, uh, that's the handle it has. Now, the idea is that, well, you know, you want to be able to swing the bat like an axe. 
eh, no, you don't. Uh, you don't want to no. swing a bat like an axe. With an axe, you want to swing it. You want the head of the axe to whip forward as you sort of snap your wrists into that wood. That's not how you would you're, want to hit a baseball. You're, you're stopping. Oh, here we go. There you go. Oh, okay. There's your axe bat handle. Okay. So now uh, you might ask, well, why would you not want to swing? I mean, I, you know, I want to swing it as hard as I can, like I do an axe. Well, a tree is a stationary object. Okay. And you don't need a linear path for your bat or axe to hit that tree. Okay. Hitting a baseball is different. We want to be able to stay in a linear path. We want to keep the barrel even with our hands as we extend. So you want to keep that left wrist or bottom wrist. All right. So for for, uh, lefties out there, the bottom wrist should stay straight. And you want to stay through as you pull through uh, the baseball, staying on the plane of the, of the path of the baseball. Um, and it, you really, it's harder to, a lot harder to do that with an axe bat. It's designed so that you can sort of snap your bat. Now, um, there are successful hitters that use axe bat. Mookie Betts is one of them. Um, so, but, you know, one of the things that, I, you know, you I know Mookie works on is his bat path and staying through the ball better. In fact, right. if you just watch him warm up in the on-deck circle, you'll see him sort of, you know, accentuate that. So I don't, I don't love it for that reason. The other thing is that you're constantly hitting on the same exact spot of the bat. You know, you can't really turn it around and, um, you know, that wood's going to get oh, softened. Oh, right, pretty, right, pretty, right. Okay. So, so the wood's going to soften a little bit quicker. Now for uh, these kids, does that fly out of your hand? Does it, does it, like, does it fly out of your hand quicker? Like, meaning like, does, are there more thrown bats or bats that go? No, flat? there is a little bit of a lip. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and by the way, so before we get into the handmade thing, I've heard that it does help with the handmade bone. Uh, I know one player in particular that likes it for that reason. This particular player actually had to have his handmate removed. Um, and, but I think there are other options, you know, that you, there are bats with just no lip at the, at the bottom as well. The, the bats that sort of just end or round off at the bottom um, that will also have the same effect in terms of protecting the handmate bone. But Kevin, if, you know, do you, in theory, would that help the handmate bone? Just, you know, knowing what it is. You know, the, the handmade bone is, you know, uh, on the pinky, pinky side of the of the wrist, you know, and as you do that kind of like I th- talked about last week, that ulnar deviation. Yeah, if it's if it stops that. But I think most of, you know, are these guys injuring their wrist on good swings? You know, I mean, we look just again, we're going back to my Yankees. I mean, I don't think Aaron Hicks has taken a good swing this year. Like he's constantly reaching like this the swings that he's taken one violent two when you miss like you know <laughs> like does that follow through owner deviation uh, jam your yeah i think it's, it it's this kevin so if you yeah, swing that last, hard it's that, that boom flick, right yeah and that's why a lot, you know like i said a lot of golfers who take huge t-bone steak divots will have the same thing or you know people have taken a divot and hit a tree root or something like that where that's like bam you're jamming it in there Right. Um, yeah. I mean, and there's also like a, I said, like there's this piece of connective tissue cartilage over there, which they just changed the name of like 10 years ago, but we'll just say, no, there's a piece of cartilage over there. Don't ask me to name it TCP, whatever the heck they change it for. I don't know why, but, um, PC sawgrass. Yeah. Something involved. like that. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I would, I would ask Dr. Uh, Dr. Campbell that, you know, hopefully we've answered his question. Um, and if he has any follow-ups to that, like obviously, just please email. We'll we'll definitely we'll get to yes. it. Thanks for, uh, for sure. sure. All right, um, all right. Tip of the tips of the week. Oh, 
Kevin, right. what do you have for a tip of the week? All right. So we, we yeah, let me share my screen here. So we have talked uh, last week. I talked about, uh, I kind of got ahead of myself. I talked about uh, squatting uh, last week. So let me share my screen here. But there is something that kind of comes before that. Um, and I find this to be out in every single person. And that literally is just your basic glute contraction. Okay. So working proximal to distal, meaning from the spine down either to the feet or to the, or, or to the hands and arms, this area, you know, our whole, our whole core, which pretty much to me is everything attached to your spine. And believe it or not, your, your butt, it's all kind of, I have a close up here has three levels. You know, we've got an upper, a middle and a lower. Okay. And the lower is usually the one that contracts first because our hamstring are, are involved in that um, rather than, and if you can see when this person does squeeze, um, you'll see that this uh, part of, uh, you know, contracts first rather, rather than, rather than the upper and middle. And every person that I have seen, and you can see here, oh, this is contracting first. So she's going three, two, one, as opposed to one, two, three. So every person who has anything below their belly button, back, hip, knee, ankle, foot, plantar fasciitis has an out of sequence glute for sure. The, the inability to not only decelerate, our glutes also an accelerator. We get into a squat position, we go to move the glute. I mean, it can't be more of a, an important muscle and that's... Um, something that should be done even as a warm-up. you know on your stomach standing up uh squeeze your butt as hard as you can mostly we're doing all day with our butt like the three of us are doing which is sitting on it um, a lot of people are doing that and you know there's more kids now just sitting all day no one's going out and playing we've, we've been through that a thousand times so that uh would be my tip of the week a proper glute contraction hold for five seconds do a bunch of them. You can do them standing, lying down. You can do them on your back. Just do watching TV. Fire that thing up. Buns of steel. That's All right. Good stuff. So I had to take my camera off again. Apparently, it like it looks like it's looks like it's on a timer. It's good for like uh, forty five minutes. There's a lot of problems at the studio over there. What what goes on yeah. over there? What's going on? I don't know. It's working like a child. You know, I got too fancy. I started getting like you know webcams and all this yeah. other stuff. Like, so. do you need like what's going on? Yeah, I think I just got to keep it simple. All right, so yeah, there you uh, go. a little softer lighting. I'm sure. I don't know what's going on? Yeah, all right. I'm not. I like the other lighting better, but all, all right. right, I'll I'll figure. I'll figure. All out. right, we'll figure out maybe for next week. So my tip of the week, I'm going to have to move again. I'm not excited about that. So I'm going to have to get up. I will okay. make sure when you get up, you squeeze those glutes, get those things fired up first. I will. I'm going to fire my glutes. I'm going to fire <laughs> them like like mad. All right. So I'll explain it first. So my tip of the week is a, is another hitting drill. And, and the tips that I give are I, I try to give tips uh, where you can do them on your own. You don't need to be in a facility. You could do them basically in your, in your house. Um, and so this one is working on station, like a stationary rotational axis. Okay. And what that means is that when, when we rotate, okay, so we set to load, our head can kind of move back and forth a little bit, and we're loading our head may, may, may kind of slide from back to front as we get wider in our base. But once our front foot's down, once we're in load position and we begin initiate rotation, our head should stay still. Our body should rotate around our head, okay? And it's almost as if there's a metal rod going straight through your body, plugging you to the ground. You can rotate, but you can't shift this way. And so one way to work on this, let me, uh, 
They just fired my glutes, by the way. And by the way, this is also uh, a golf-related drill as well, Mike. And this is, is it? Okay. Pizza Sam for the golf swing, without question. Okay. Here we so, go. Way to do this, okay? And I'm trying to be loud so you can get in the hear me from the microphone is if you have a little mirror and door mirrors work really well, those little like rectangular mirrors put up against the wall. If it's on a wall, take a dry erase marker and let's just make a line right down the middle of that mirror. Okay. And so we get into a position where you step and load and you want to be centered on that line. This line's right here. Okay. Now what we're going to do is we're going to look away we we'll go back to our stance. We're going to look away. We're going to step and then we're going to swing and rotate. And we're going to look back and we'll see if we're behind that line. Okay. Oh, I'm a little bit of forward of it. All right. So my, my, the line's behind me. I'm forward of the line. I'm drifting my head. So I'll try to do that again. Take a step. I'm going to keep that line here. I'm going to rotate this time. Look back. All right. I'm right on that line. So I know my head's not drifting. Okay. And that's real important because when we start shifting our weight from back to front, we're taking rotational power away. We're taking the force of the back glute, right? You know, where's where a lot of the force comes from away from our swing. So it's really important to make sure that you maintain a stationary axis point. And that is a very simple and easy drill to help you work on that. You can start with slower swings to make sure you're online and gradually move up to taking full swings. But of course, and if you have to, even in the beginning, look at the line if you have to, just to work on the feel, getting the feel down. But once you have that, you know, you get yourself set up on that line, take full swings, look back to check and see where you are and correct from there. That's, That's fantastic. Now, I'm assuming we're doing that to for power, flexible, all that kind of stuff. But what about just seeing the bait? I'm assuming you want your head to be still so that you can actually see the baseball correct yeah of course you don't want to change your eye level on the, on the baseball as well you don't want to go up or down left right right so it's hard enough to hit a ball that's moving if you start moving your head now you're you're giving another dimension to that pitch right now you're starting to make that pitch that's straight look like a breaking ball one of the one of the the big things we see a lot is a head tilt right when, when hitters start to turn they yep. rotate like this and you know I, I always give the example of imagine if you're reading a book Right. And all of a sudden I went like this to you. Right. It's a little right. harder, hard to follow what you're reading. So it's, you wouldn't want to do that to yourself as a, you know, on a pitch ball as well. All right. Good job, Mike. Oh, well, thank oh. you, sir. Uh oh. Is, is it time? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? All right. This is a, this is a, all right. Full disclosure, right? This is a little bit of a different why would you do that? This is like, I know why you do it, but but why would you but. do it incorrectly? Right. So bear with me a second while I get we're, this we're back to the, here. We're back to the, the X-Bat. This is called an encore. Oh, why would you we're X-Bat? Gonna... All right. So, so in this post here, this is labeled baseball shoulder prehab. So kind of calling back something that Dr. McGovern was talking about uh, a little bit ago uh, and doing some actual prehab to, to prevent injury. Right. So this is uh, a few video, a video of some of these shoulder exercises that this, uh, these kids are doing and I'll let Kevin kind of take it away with the good, the bad, the ugly, and, and so on. So I will say that 99.9% .9 of these exercises are good in their face value. But like with everything, technique is the key. 
in all these, as we, as this camera goes around, you're going to see one major muscle that is on that we want off during these exercises. And that is our killer, the upper trap. There's even a, when we go over here, the guy puts his hand where he wants those shoulder blades to be, but they're not happening. You'll see that that upper trap right there is firing. That upper trap should be disengaged or we should be working on disengaging that. The reason why is because of the scapulohumeral rhythm, which is a three to two ratio from arm elevation and that shoulder blade has to turn. The upper trap does the opposite of that. It's like trying to drive your car uh, forward in reverse. So these exercises are great, but they break. I mean, even this, you'll see this kid's movement is really starting in his elbows. It needs to start at the shoulder blades, right? The shoulder blades need to pull and the hand last. So it's, these are great, but how they're being instructed, you're, you're, you're really breaking the proximal to distal rule, which isn't my rule. I mean, that's kinesiologically how we need to move from our spine out. So this person knows just enough to be a little bit dangerous that someone, you know, you've got, you've got to be talking that you're moving from your shoulder blades, depressing, which is like a seesaw as your shoulder blades depress your hands elevate. So you can see those elbows moving first and those shoulder blades are literally stuck. His upper trap is stuck at, at his, I mean, it's yeah. So this, these exercises in all intents and purposes are, are, are not helping him even okay. though they're good in their face value. So, so first of all, I think it's an important message that, you know, exercises in and of themselves aren't necessarily going to help. Uh, it's, it's, it's critical to make sure that you, you know, you're doing them the right way and that you're working the muscles that they're supposed to design to develop or help. Um, so with that, I would, my, my follow-up question, Kevin would be if these are done correctly, um, they're brilliant. They're well, okay. Good. And so yeah. what will they help? What do they strengthen the cuff, the rotator cuff, or what are they? All of the above. So the, okay. you know, the first we have to get proximal stability for, for distal strength. So we're looking at getting that shoulder blade. That's what I call what everyone calls your thoracic, your scapulothoracic joint, meaning your scapula lays on top of your, essentially your, your thoracic spine, your rib cage, getting that to be stable, coordinated, moving well, then the rotator cuff, and then from out there. So when we talk about you had mentioned, uh, I don't know if it was off air, but, you know, these elbow injuries have a lot to do with, with, with shoulder issues. And this is it. Everything starts here. If those shoulder blades are not in the right spot, everything down that kinetic chain is going to be compromised. And these are great exercises if we, if we follow the rule of proximal to distal. Okay. There you have it, folks. All right. So. Why would you do that of the week? Why would you do that? Or this is how you do it, really. <laughs> Great. This is how you do it. Oh, boy. Come on, I'm not ready for Again. that, for sure. Oh, wow. There's more in there. Just say the word. All right. Well, uh, good show. And so next week, we're going to continue to touch on uh, this injury bug. And maybe we're going to talk about, I think, the medical model of your major league college uh, compared to the medical high school, model, which I'm going to say in high school in quote unquote, the real world and, and the differences of those. And maybe that is a reason why we have all of these injuries. Maybe it's not, but we certainly to discuss it to enlighten people that there is a big difference between medical management on the sport level compared to the real world level. All right. All right. All right, all right folks. 
Sayonara. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.